Nippy Cody. He is bad. Because he loves Pinhead and he likes that movie. So, Hellraiser also not a great movie. Okay, we're shutting it down. You hated that movie. No, I think it's I think it's one of the more fun. Like, like I'm it's not I'm good. aware of that, but I, I yeah, I, it's very fun. Yeah, but you can also say that like Children of the Corn is fun. Oh, I but love it's Children. Bad. Corn. Yeah, but it's terrible. It's terrible. Okay, we gotta get started. All right, all right. Three, two, one. Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my chocolate factory. And I should warn you that one of us always tells the truth, and one of us always lies. No running in the hallway. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Hello and welcome to Fans Labyrinth, the podcast where we discuss your favorite genre films and indie flicks. I am your host, Lydia, and this is my co-host. Joseph, hello. Hey, hello. Hey, hi, hello. how are you? Aloha. Just make slurping noises. Um, That's the new intro. Yeah, please ne- never do that again. Okay. Seems That's a little upsetting. aggressive to my beautiful... It, not... Honestly, it's not aggressive enough. <laughs> we are not an ASMR podcast, and nobody wants to listen to you slurp. Honestly, even if we were an ASMR podcast, nobody wants to listen to someone slurp. That's probably true. Um, how have you been? What have you been watching? Um, you know, I've been good. Well, we both know that Busy. we both haven't been watching too much, but it's been a weird I know, few which weeks. Is, yeah, it's crazy, because it's been like three weeks since we mm-hmm. recorded. But I've been watching a lot of comfort television because I've been depressed. Yeah. You can leave that in. It's I've been in a weird mental state too, which usually I would turn to more media. But for some reason, I just kind of have been doing nothing, nothing, aka Mm, YouTube. I I go through phases of either like, it depends on what type of depressed I am. But I'm either so depressed that I just do nothing, which is rough when you have a nine to five job. Or I'm the kind of depressed where I just watch a lot of comfort television. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've mostly been watching comfort TV. But I did I did manage to watch with you. Well, actually, that's things. actually true. Because we both tried to... Well, you got through a lot more of it. But I tried to watch Dawson's Creek. Again, because that came out. Oh, yeah. I forgot I watched that. And you watched it a lot. I literally watched... I watched all of it. Yeah. End to end. And you just I forgot. watched all six seasons. I totally... It's... A six season television show. It's not good. That's why I forgot. I just wiped it from my memory. <laughs> oh my god, that show sucks. I mean, I loved that show when I was younger, and like, I'm I'm not gonna say there's no value to it because obviously shows like Dawson's Creek and Beverly Hills 90210 Melrose Place they like spawn this whole genre of teen soap opera. But Dawson's Creek is particularly frustrating because the Dawson character is the epitome of what we would now call the like nice guy mm-hmm. kind of person who's like only respectful and only nice in an effort to get something from a person of the opposite sex. And it's not so much that he like consistently pressures the women he dates into having sex. It's that like, if he's a kind and respectful boyfriend and they don't automatically drop their panties, he like picks fights with them and gets aggressive with them and assumes that there's like 
something wrong in the relationship or they're not attracted to him in some way or he's done so or like whatever and it just turns into this whole melodrama and it's like almost every melodrama that exists with Dawson is either him having like insanely high standards because of his weird obsession with Spielberg movies that like no human being in the real world could ever meet or it's him being like that quintessential nice guy and just like being mad that he didn't get what he wanted out of it Mm -hmm. so like at one point in the series i'm spoiling it because this show is so old but at one point in the series him and joey were dating when they were like 15 16 they they date for four months and they break up and this is like a huge deal first loves he's devastated whatever a literal year later she starts dating somebody else within their friend group and they don't tell him right away because they know that he's going to have like a really melodramatic, volatile reaction. Mm-hmm. So then he finds out while they're having, they're literally having a conversation about how to tell him. And he finds out and he's just like, I'm disgusted with you both. Like, I can't even look at you. We're like, our friendship's never going to be the same. Oh, God, We're yeah. never going to be best friends again, even though I've been best friends with you, Pacey, for like fucking 15 years i'm i can't even look at you and then he just storms off into his house and it's like i mean i get that you guys are like 17 but holy shit dude you dated this girl for four months a full calendar year ago and she's dating somebody else it's it's not that serious yeah it's (laughs) no you you hit the nail on the head completely yeah and he spends the rest of the season just like punishing them so that, like, Joey has to, like, basically grovel on his knees for her, like, for forgiveness. So, like, they can be friends again and actually be in the same room, like, human beings, because they're in the same friend group. And Pacey and him are are not friends again until the final season. It's, it's so dumb. He has such... Like, four years later. He has such romantic, like, man-child, like, feelings yeah. towards everything, like... Because um, I only rewatched um, most of the first season, but even there, it's like it's so nasty. It, like this, like they the show is self aware that this is like a nasty character of him, but like his like wanting the virginity of his first girlfriend and everything. It is, is such so a weird. Mess. And then it goes even further. So like, so he he's he dates Jen. And he's uncomfortable with the fact that she's had sex before him and he feels inadequate, which honestly, like, isn't even, like, an outrageous thing. Like, I feel like that happens with high school and, like, college-age boys, so that's not that weird. But then later on, with Joey, he dates her for four months. They don't sleep together. She's not ready, but totally fine. But she ends up having sex with her next boyfriend and, like... Him and Joey just start being friends again. And, like, they have a great day. They go out for coffee. Everything is chill. Like, they're having a really good time. And then he's just like, can I ask you a personal question? And she's like, of course. Like, we've been best friends forever. Like, you can ask me anything. And he's like, are you still a virgin? And she's like, oh. Mm -hmm. What? That's weird. And at this point, she had been dating her new boyfriend for a year. So it had been two years since since she dated Dawson and she's 18. And he's just like, I don't know. I just I get this feeling that something's different with you. And I'm like, first of all, that's a weird thing to say to someone. You're like, I can sense that you don't that you're like, you don't have a hymen anymore. And it's like, what the fuck? 
that's weird. And if yeah. you can, don't bring it up. And, like, you're barely friends anymore, but okay. So she lies because it's an uncomfortable question. Mm-hmm. And then her boyfriend, like, loses his mind on her for lying. And it's like, man, it's a weird fucking question. And it spawns this whole melodrama. And it's like, a your ex-boyfriend, who is also a close family friend of yours, should not be asking you if you've lost your virginity. It's fucking weird. And you were under no obligation to tell him. <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel like the mellow of melodrama sort of comes from this, pe- like, characters just connecting to things that feel so... And maybe it's just being older, right? These are supposed to be teenage characters, so they do have different interests. But it's like, as you know, it's like, these things feel so, like, foreign and ridiculous. Like, how is this the concern? I just, I just can't even imagine a situation where it is not entirely and completely out of line and outrageous for your ex-boyfriend of two years prior to ask you if you're still a virgin. Like, that's a weird fucking question, regardless yes. of your age. It's a weird topic Wildly for the show. Well, not, okay, it's not a weird topic. Obviously, it's a thing. No. Like, people are aware. But it's just, it, the way the show handles it is so, yeah. I don't know. It's like a different era or something. Yeah. It just doesn't feel... It's very, you know. like, the way they speak to each other is, like, so over-the-top, like, intellectual. It's very Gilmore Girls-esque. Mm-hmm. But you don't have, like, you really don't have a central adult character to offset that. Like, at least with Gilmore Girls, Lorelai and Rory are such close friends, even though they're mother and daughter, and they're not that far off in age, that it kind of makes sense that, like, Rory would mimic her mom's sort of, like, way of speaking, and she might have a more, like, adult vocabulary. Even though it is outrageous and over the top. But with Dawson's Creek, like, they're all friends with, like, normal aged people. Mm -hmm. So there's no, like, like, there's no way to suspend your disbelief. So it just sounds ridiculous, the way that they speak to each other, and the way they ask each other these, like, wildly inappropriate questions just sounds even more inappropriate. It's not a good show. If you've never seen Dawson's Creek, I certainly don't recommend watching it. Yeah. And then... I can't believe I forgot that I watched it. (laughs) My stuff that I've watched uh, recently is, in addition to not being much, is also stuff, and we mentioned this, but it's like that you've already watched and talked about it on the show. So we're just going to get through this and talk, say things. And honestly, my opinions are not that different than yours. So it's like even less exciting yeah. but i finished um hollywood which is actually very short it's only like seven episodes or something like that um and it's a limited series so there's no second season or anything like that um which i like because you know it's an extended movie like they get to get to their conclusion and it's like things are just done and like reasonably he could continue it anthologically yeah. if he wanted to i thought the show in the first few episodes was like fun and good like and I was like oh this is kind of like fun characters and I kind of like was interested in where they're going and then it sort of reveals what the real premise is which to give it away is is basically that was it 1940s ish 30s I can't I don't know it must it's after the talkies so 40s or 50s or something like this 50s when was when was Hatt, Hattie McDaniels when was Hattie McDaniels it's, yeah, it's, it's got to be late so it was 40s, like, early it was 50s. Like just after her era, so I feel yeah. like it's the 50s. Um, so it's about people trying to break into Hollywood as like every different role you can think of an actor, a writer, director, etc. And but they're all 
diverse in ways. There's the, one of the, the um, actors trying to break in is black. One of the writers is black and gay. And there's a whole, we've talked about this many times before, but there's this whole shtick with um, Ryan Murphy where he has this obsession over gay storylines yeah. with exactly these same looking gay white guys. Yes. And it's, uh, they, they're, in, they're these interchangeable white men that all look the same and yeah. all have hyper-sexualized stories. Yes. Whether they're gay or straight stories, they all look like the same dude, and they're all hypersexual. And so, yeah. he does it in everything. You he does see it in the show, horror story. You see the show in the first few episodes, like, sort of leaning into, like, the, the dark sides of Hollywood. And that's what you're seeing, like, she'll never make it because she's a black actress. And, um, you know, you have to, you know, suck dick in order to get, get anywhere in Hollywood. And... Um, you're going to be under the I mean, thumb of true. terrible casting directors and owing favors and all this stuff that you'll never you'll never break through in the shows. Being like, how will they how will they do it, right? And then basically, there's a twist of fate, and you realize this is sort of to give it away, but you realize like the show is the show is made to give you the Hollywood ending. That everything yeah. then purposely coincidentally clicks into place such that the miracle can happen where everything can go right for all of these characters such that they get their the their Hollywood dream fulfilled. Yeah. And it's extremely sweet and nice and it feels good, but like once you get it, you get it. Like you're ju- you just flow with the last few episodes and you're just yeah. like okay, thank And it's you. just it's the cutesy revisionist history Hollywood yeah. ending and I feel like so like I enjoy timing that, wise, but, yeah. yeah. But I feel like timing wise, Hollywood coming out on the tail end of like the success of one like Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which I didn't actually see. Which is so, yeah. It's also like a Hollywood story revisionist history piece that gives you the Hollywood ending mm. on like an actual piece of history. So it's the same, it's literally the same thing, but in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, it's the Sharon Tate murders and, like, a washed up actor. And, like, giving you sort of, like, a really sweet Hollywood ending to both those stories that, like, makes the whole thing feel a lot better and less upsetting. But you get all the gore and ridiculousness of Tarantino. I'm not going to say it's great, and it's certainly not even one of Tarantino's better movies. I would say it's, like, a mid-tier Tarantino but overall, it actually is a better story and more interesting and, like, a little bit more, like, engaging on the screen mm. than something like Hollywood, which is, like, feels pretty by the numbers. Yeah. Like, you could put that in any era and it would still be entertaining. Like, you, it literally doesn't even have to be a revisionist piece. Like, that, the whole trajectory of that story could be in any era with any characters and it would be just as cute. Mm-hmm. Um. I, I guess I'll go right into my the, the, the big one that I spent a lot of time watching was I got through um, uh, almost the f- first two seasons of Kingdom, which has three seasons yes. total. Um, yes, based on your recommendation and definitely the gay storyline with... Yeah, um, Nick Jonas. Nick, uh, yeah, uh, Nick jo- Nate in the, um, in the show uh, was one of the selling points. Although, of course, he's like the worst actor in it and his storyline yeah, is like, he's not definitely good. relegated to like nonsense Um, i think they realized like about a third or halfway through the first season that he just like wasn't a very good actor mm -hmm. 
Um, and they that truly the just character... keep his story on the back burner and give it yeah. no progress. Like after yeah. the middle then, of season one, there's nothing ever happens. He's just that. he's not he's not very good. But then the Jay character was like beloved. So I think they just yeah. like retooled because it turned out that like the guy who plays Ryan can't act that well. Nick Jonas isn't a great actor, and no one really cared about Frank Grillo's character. So like it just became all about Jay, which I was fine with because I love Jonathan Tucker. Yeah, I'm, I, and I completely agree with you. Jay is by far the most interesting and original character yeah. of it. This big Matthew Lillard. You know, it's, it's so hard to describe his character because it's it's such a nuance of different factors. Because he's so he's Nate's brother, and so it, it's a gym. It's an MMA fighting gym owned by like the classic "I fight for my life" type guy, and he he was a yeah. uh, he was a great fighter. His era's over. Um, but he still keeps himself like super muscular and coaches people. And that's what he wants out of his gym. He makes money off of it. But like, really, he's there to train the next generation of fighters. And yeah. he's obsessed with the, he's... finding the rage in people, finding the will yeah. to win. He's fights. very obsessed with the community and being like mm-hmm. a central figure in the community, whether that means he has to coach or be the biggest, best fighter or the best coach or whatever that is. Played by Frank Grillo, who yeah. you will recognize from the Purge movies. The Purge movies, yeah. And and he's he, like he's his character is great, um, and he's and he's good in it. But it's it's just not that original. It doesn't it doesn't transcend yeah. in the way Jay's character does. So like the true the only I would say the only real reason to to watch the show if you're like for besides just if you just like it. But like yeah. the the interesting thing about the show is Jay, who is um, one of his sons. Um, and he's a guy who, you know, he loves to, you know, party hard, you know, but, but work hard, but he also has this very particular sense of family and, and love for family where he, basically one of the storylines is his mother, she, yeah. So then she's, she's gone down a path of, of, of addiction and has become a prostitute and he tries to get her out. So she... She, you know, I don't want to say he finds her and basically steals her away against her will, locks her in a room and forces her out of um, the through the withdrawal symptoms. And she's addicted to heroin. Um, but afterwards, she says that she feels his love and feels appreciated because of this. Like, who would do this for me? And you see this kind of so the, the show really and you said this before, you know, it really centers around toxic masculinity. But it's interesting the ways in which the characters try to find good ways to use their masculinity. But it's a question of whether and how successful those things are. And I think Jay's character, he's so powerful because he has the most balance between extremely toxic aspects of his personality. You know, he's very party hard and is willing to do some crazy things, but has strong family values and this protector thing, which is traditionally a male sort of... And like, I love, I, what I love about Jay's character is that he's all big feelings. Mm -hmm. So even though some of those feelings are like very toxic and he can be like really aggressive, really intense, really combative. He also has like so much like love and sensitivity and affection and like he cries and yeah, I just think it's like a really interesting juxtaposition because he's so openly emotional and you don't. You don't see that kind of portrayal of, like, masculinity in a lot of things. 
I do think like, so one of the, like compared to something like the Queen's Gambit, which is like, again, what I call like a sports show. So like, there's a, there's a thing where I do wish the MMA aspect they do with the training of the MMA, they show a lot and explain a lot, but there's something about the way, like the fights are actually fairly infrequent in the show. Um, And so I don't know, there's just a sense in which um, I wish I understood like what they were doing a bit more or uh, like, it's just sort of assume that they're all really good fighters. Um, But it's like, what are their specialties? What are they doing is like not very clear. Yeah, they're, I mean, that's fair. You don't get a great sense of, like, what their specialties are. They do explain, like, their weight classes and Mm -hmm. stuff. You get a lot of sense of that. But their specialties, whether it's, like, Brazilian jiu-jitsu or, like, whatever. I don't know other fighting styles. That's the only one I know of that's an MMA. Um, You don't really get, like, yes, kickboxing. But, like, you get, like, a basic understanding of what they're relatively good at. Like, um, Ryan, you can tell, is, like generally better with the boxing and kickboxing portion whereas jay is like predominantly groundwork so when Mm -hmm. you see them i don't know if you've gotten to points where like they're training together or they're fighting against each other but you you can really see the juxtaposition of Mm. their fighting styles when it's people from the same gym fighting together you get a better idea of like what that is yeah, and I mean, obviously, the but show I do can't... agree that it's not it's not a front and center piece. Yeah. It can't just be focused on the fights themselves because obviously that's just that's what you buy a subscription to actual MMA fighting for, right? Yeah. So the show knows 100%. that it needs its focus on something else, but it, there is a compared to other shows like this that I've I've seen often like a thing that they do is like they make the tension of the fight itself a little more interesting, whereas the show really doesn't focus on the tension of the fights yeah. themselves. Yeah, it's very can't. It's very character focused. Very character focused. Mm-hmm. I went into it thinking it was going to be more of like a, like a Creed or like a Southpaw, where it's like more there's there's more focus put on like the lead up to the fights and then the actual fighting, mm-hmm. and it's really more about the character drama. Yeah, which I mean, and you I never ever anyway. have like a rival opponent like that who's unknown no. to the cast matter. It's never like I need to beat you know, you know. Yeah, the, this other person, like a rocky type situation. Yeah, so it's hard, it's hardly ever. Yeah, but, but you could tell that, like, I could tell when I started watching this, what they wanted was for it to be kind of like a Sons of Anarchy type thing, and you would have your yes. like central character come shows. back into the f- come back into the fold, very Prodigal Son style, and that would be Ryan in Kingdom would be like the Charlie Unum character in Sons of Anarchy. Um... But then, like, you could tell about halfway to, like, two-thirds of the way through the first season that they realized that, like, Ryan's character and storyline was just, like, not engaging. And they fully switched to Jay. Like, the second season is almost entirely about Jay. That's true. That's, like, or that's true to a degree. Although, I think, so, um, Ryan meets a new character, Keith. And I think their relationship is I love Keith. a somewhat interesting, yeah, part of the show too. But it's clear that you're right that Ryan is removed from the central storyline. Yeah. Yeah, he's not the central figure anymore. He's like a B story plot. And honestly, the most interesting part of his B storylines is Keith and not himself. Yeah, basically. Like, Keith is just generally more interesting. And Keith's, like, affection for him and, like, 
obvious mental instability is significantly more interesting than anything like Ryan's doing. And they very much glaze over like Ryan's issues with rage and alcoholism and drug addiction. And they just like, yeah. So he assaulted his dad and gave him lifelong injuries. Oh God. Yeah. It's a, it's a very, that happened. And you're just like, okay. Intense storyline, but very strangely done. Yeah. It's weird. Uh, The show also has this very strange relationship with women like i actually i think their mom is actually a really interesting character and has a kind of she has a weird sense of which her sex like her, her like the way she attracts men is like extreme like men are like very very attractive or, and she has like a presence of it and and in a way i almost feel like the best the interest most interesting quality because of her uh, she doesn't want to maintain her addictive personality but in a way she she knows her own ability to do that is so easy to slip into um, or to like to, to get what she wants through uh, from men. And so it's, I think it's an interesting, there's a way in which she has her own kind of power, but that slips into his addiction in, and, and, and that makes her an interesting foil to Avery, the dad who. Alvi. Or Alvi, sorry. Who, um, has his own like toxic mask and, and he has a lot of power and ability to do things his own way. But um, he doesn't have, a, he has a kind of nihilism or something that's going on that makes him always perpetually dissatisfied. He, he can't find satisfaction and, and goes constantly on self-destructive paths. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, yeah. So I think she's interesting, but the other two um, main women characters in the show, I just can't, I feel like their storylines aren't treated fully. They're yeah. just somehow, they're not engaged in the world in the right way. Yeah, like you could tell, what was Alvi's girlfriend's name? Jill? Yeah, Jill. Jill? You could tell Jill was supposed to be like a Katie Siegel character mm-hmm. in Sons of Anarchy. Like it was supposed to be that same kind of dynamic. And she just, I, I don't know. They didn't treat her character very well. She wasn't built up very well. And it, it just, it, she ended up not becoming a very like strong presence in the show. Which is unfortunate because like I thought she started off really well. But... It just didn't go anywhere. And then they introduce a female fighter too. And her storyline's fine. It's just that it's 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 like Nate's. It's just overshadowed by the fact that other fighter storylines are much more powerful. They didn't, yeah, they didn't do a ton with her. And they made her like hyper, hyper sexual right away. And I think that took yeah. a lot away from your interest in her as a character. You know, like there's nothing wrong with her being sexual, but they like... Like, one of the first scenes you see with her in it, you see her, like, half-naked having sex with another character. And it's like, I mean, we could have established her as a presence in the show a little bit first. Yeah, I didn't mean to talk about the two shows that much because we've already talked about them before. But, I, yeah, I I think they're they're both... They're not recommendations, but, like, they're shows that are likable. Um, yeah. And, they're, yeah. And I just think... For Jay's character alone, it's worth watching because the actor de- like takes such an interesting direction with it, and he just mm-hmm. like really leans into that character. Gives me big Matthew Lillard in SLC Punk energy. So you got a you've got a bunch of stuff though that you've been watching recently. <sighs> yeah, so I, mean, I didn't mean to take to... away too much time, but I guess we'll just have to dive into it. No, it's fine. 
Um, so I watched. I'll do. Okay, so I watched Demon. Uh, the first six episodes of Demon Slayer. Oh, I'm gonna, okay. I'm gonna start going for with this one. because you can talk about it too. Yeah, I feel like true. That's why I mean I'm I was just talking up. for like three hours, but yeah. No, I know, but you brought up two things that I've already seen yeah. and can talk about. So I'm gonna bring up something that you've seen and can talk about. Um, but yeah, so I started Demon Slayer. I'm Joseph is very excited that I <laughs> made friends with somebody who's really into anime, and yes. uh, they created yes, they the created it. So yeah, so they're really into anime. I'm really into horror, and we're doing like an exchange where we made lists for each other to like showcase the genre. I guess. Mm -hmm. So Demon Slayer was one of the things on his list for me. And that's what we started with. Um, I've only seen six episodes, so I'm not like super far into it. But I am genuinely really enjoying it Mm -hmm. so far. Um, We watched it subtitled, not dubbed. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that's a big point of contention (laughs) in the anime community. (laughs) We made fun of Jason because... Well, actually, the, the, the guys that I was watching it with made fun of Jason because... He watches most of his stuff dubbed, and he was like, the English is fine. Like, it's totally, it sounds great. And they're like, no, it sounds like shit. I'm like, I'm fine with subtitles, guys. It's it's no big deal. Um, so we watched it with subtitles. The animation is beautiful. Yeah, like, that's, one of the that's the first thing I noticed. Sure. Yeah, it's, it's stunning. It's stunningly gorgeous. The scene where they're in, like, that wisteria forest mm, yes. thing is unbelievable to look at it's just so beautiful um and like the animation of the demons is genuinely really interesting like the guy with all the arms and stuff was like super creepy and like intense uh okay so right fair enough (laughs) i assume everybody knows what demon slayer is i didn't even know what it was until a week ago so i don't know why i don't know why i thought anybody would know what it is but basically it starts off in this, like, little village with this absolutely adorable little family. Um, I'm really bad at all of the Japanese names, so I, yeah. I don't remember all the names. Um, but the boy is selling coal for the family. Mm-hmm. He goes down to the village to sell coal. Um, and then he climbs back up the mountain to go back to his home, but it's nighttime. So he stays with one of uh, the, like, villagers at the bottom of the mountain and goes back in the morning. And when he gets back in the morning... In this particular region, there are demons that can only come out at night and kind of wreak havoc on, Mm -hmm. like, various areas. And he gets back and his family has been murdered, presumably by a demon. But he finds his younger sister and she is still alive, but she's been infected with the demon blood, which traditionally turns you into a demon. Mm -hmm. But she, for whatever reason still recognizes him and doesn't try to heart like harm him um so in the process of trying to get her under control a demon slayer comes and they're this like group of soldiers that are trained specifically for hunting and killing demons and like protecting these villages and the demon slayer recognizes that there's something different about both him and this like half demon sister of his and sends him to his mentor to be trained as a demon slayer and to try and find a cure for his sister. So that's basically yep. how it starts. That's pretty much the whole first episode. Absolutely. So not the most concise explanation, but I'm still learning. No, about I this, mean, that is, so. that is the real um, premise of the show. And I think this is just to add to the coolness of the show or the factor of it is that so like the, 
obviously they fight demons and whatnot. And um, the demons are, you know, like traditional demons, but Japanese inspired. And they, you meet a bunch of them during the show, but they, you know, they have all different powers and all stuff. But then the demon slayers Mm -hmm. themselves, how they fight them. So they each usually have a sword, but their powers is these types of breathing. And that's like the cool factor of the show. And so I don't know if you've seen any of the breathing yeah. styles yet. So he was trained specifically in water breathing. Yes. But when he got his sword, the guy who brought it told him that he was like a sun child or like a fire child or something. Because mm-hmm. he had the red hair and the and the like pink eyes. Um, so they were expecting his sword to turn red, but it turned black. And I don't know what that means yeah, I, yet. I think they have But apparently it, yeah. it's super yeah. uncommon. And he he does water breathing. And he's one of or he's like one of the most powerful kids that this particular ex demon slayer mentor has trained. So yeah. Yeah. And so that's so, kind of that's where I'm at. He also has an amazing sense of smell and can right. smell. Right, yeah, the yeah, demons. that's not, yeah. So that's like and a totally a separate hard head. Yeah. Yeah, he has a hard head and, and sense of smell. So that isn't a thing Demon Slayers necessarily have. That's just a weird fact of his own life that he's always yeah. had. But the mentor also has a really keen sense of smell, oh, which is weird. I didn't remember that. Yeah. So the mentor brought that up. And the mentor said that when you hone your sense of smell, you will eventually be able to tell how many humans a demon has fed on. Oh, wow. Yeah. That I remember distinctly because I was like, hey, that's super useful because, like, yeah. the more humans that they eat, the more powerful and more mutated they become. And depending on the type of demon they are, the more abilities they have. Yeah. So, like, the demons that can do blood magic can do even more intense spells and stuff when they fed a lot more. Yeah. And so the the breathing technique isn't just like so so the classic thing is that they they breathe a certain way and then that lets centers you and like thing and that's sort of where it begins from but then like the water breathing and when his fighting style obviously there's sort of water weaving sort of movement to it but then in mm-hmm. addition how the show animates it is so cool in that it yeah, has this like really cgi pretty. effect so for a water um breather type they have like like a, a wave that comes out of their sword, like from behind their sword. And like the wave itself is a kind of magic. But what I love about the show, and many people have pointed this out, is that you never quite know if the water that's being shown or the waves that are being shown are the, are actually there, like are actually present and doing things, or if it's just a representation, a visual representation of the like style that they're using. Yeah. Because rarely you see other people do styles too. Like there's a lightning style and others but it's not as though like oh, a lightning cell then yet. shoots lightning at someone but there is yeah so it's it's an interesting visual cue to make things cooler and so yeah it's it's a be- just unbelievably beautiful and just classic classic storyline where it's like boy tragic and then has to get better and works really hard to do so and it just it's classic but like it's one of the best done of it what I like about it, too, is that it's not just, like, I have to get more powerful so that I can save the world. It's specifically, mm-hmm. like, I need to get more powerful so that I can find a cure for my sister. Mm-hmm. And, like, his family, is like, what's left of his family is, like, the most important thing to him. And if he saves other people along the way, that's amazing. And he's super happy to do that. But his ultimate goal is to, like, save his sister. And I think that's – obviously, it's not realistic, but, like, that as a motivator feels more realistic than, like, I need to save the world because I'm the only one who can do it. It's like, no, I need to, like, 
protect my sister that I love because, you know, we're orphans now. Like, that just, like, yeah, the show feels more pl- relatable, I guess. Yeah. The, the show takes place in an interesting, like, era as well because you first think it's, like, feudal Japan because of, like, how everything looks. But when he goes into town, you actually, there's power lines and stuff. Like, it's actually, like, early 20s, 30s or, or something like that. Um, Japan, but but on the outskirts of the big cities, so you don't notice it as much. Like there's still yeah. they still haven't had the the 1945 uh, after the World War II restoration, right? So Japan really kept its history very close to its same until after uh, World War II, and so it's it's such an interesting era of their own um, time. And so one of the things they talk about is that these demon slayers and demons exist, but people are forgetting, like. So people don't, mm-hmm. a lot of people don't believe in demons or don't believe these things are happening. And the demon slayers themselves like sort of hide and aren't noticed. And there's this kind of interplay between like, what is the historical rituals of Japan? Are those still useful to this, in this era where things are changing over to modern times? So the show has a really cool um, placement of, of that in terms of setting and um, era. Yeah. I'm excited to keep watching it. it. It did really grab me. I enjoyed it. And I think it helps that it's like so beautiful. It makes it really yeah. easy as like a first attempt at like real anime other than like, you know, Studio Ghibli. So yeah, I'm enjoying it. I'm looking forward to, to continuing it. I think the game plan is that we, you know, try and stick to one series at a time mm-hmm. so that I don't get confused. It's very short too. It's I'm only 26 episodes or so. So I, th- I think it, Apparently there's a movie now too. Yes. So there's that um, that I have to watch at some point. Yeah. I don't and, really and know this, like the series what... is continuing, so it's not over. Yeah. But I don't know like where I'm supposed yeah. to when I'm supposed to watch the movie. It's after. But yeah. you know. Okay. So yeah. So anyway, I will keep you posted. <laughs> yeah. That's actually that actually goes quite well into one of the only other things I have to talk about. And so this is kind of a cheat because so we've been rewatching. The Legend of Korra, which is the show that comes after after the Last Airbender. Um, okay. And so I've heard of both of those. Yeah. Or have you seen either of those? I've seen maybe like two episodes no. of Avatar <laughs> and maybe a handful of episodes of of Korra. So I Korra is one of my big regrets. I've never finished. So Korra's four seasons. I've never finished it. I've only watched all of season one and some amount of season two. That's when I dropped it. I don't remember it though. Um, so, so I'm just going to talk about season one of Korra. So the original After the Last Airbender, which is, a, this is a direct sequel to, is in a world where it's a sort of feudal China area, feudal China and Japan. And the world is, um, made up of four tribes, which represent the four different elements. So there's an earth kingdom, fire nation, water tribes, and the air nomads. And so they live in harmony around the world and their harmony is kept by this person called the avatar so it's a person who's reincarnated um every generation um in a direct soul way so like, if they're 90 years old they die then someone is born like the very next day or within a very short period of time who is the next avatar and they cycle through the elements so if the avatar was from the fire nation then the next one is i don't know what the order is but let's say the earth and then it goes to water and then air and, and back again and so it's always a cycle in that balance. But the Avatar's power is that they are the only person in the world who can control all four elements. So each nation has a few a few people who are called benders who have the direct ability to control that element using a style of martial arts. 
that sort of represents that element. So earthbenders, for example, kind of, they tend to like stomp on the ground and that allows them to move the earth. Um, whereas airbenders tend to sort of move in a very flowy way and then they can move air. And so that it's a very cool look. You know, people love it. It's a classic adventure story and that has its own thing. Legend of Korra comes a hundred years after the events of Avatar The Last Airbender. And it's the next, so so the, the previous Avatar has died and the next Avatar has, has been born and now she's uh, she's about 16 to 18, something like that. I'm not exactly sure, but the show moved from the original Avatar, you, you see him when he's about 12 and that's sort of the age range of the audience. So one of the cool things about Korra is that she's a little bit older and so there is an edgier, more romance focused storyline going on. And the themes go from just classic adventure to being mainly situated in this thing called Republic City in which um, sort of there's been a rapid industrialization of the world and there's a big city now where benders from all four nations live together, which has never happened before. Always the nations had been living apart. So now everyone sort of lives together in this thing. And so it has that kind of immigrant city feeling. And the vibe is they have like jazz music. They have um, industrialization. There's like a clear character who's meant to be um, Henry Ford and all stuff. So it's like it's that like 1920s to 40s era, but put in this world of weird elemental benders. And so... Legend of Korra is really good in terms of the political or philosophical ideas it brings forth. The concepts are really, really cool. So the first villains, for example, are a revolutionary group who um, basically, they call themselves the equalists, who argue that benders, people who have the power to bend the elements, should not be in power and actually should be overthrown because they have a a, a distinct advantage over everyone else. That's unfair. Mm. And so they have a kind of tyranny and an elitism. And so their idea is like, we need to overthrow them and thing. And the leader gains the, like, this is sort of spoiler for like the second or third episode, but the leader you find out has the ability to drain, like to remove someone's bending. So his plan is to grab all the benders and remove their bending and then everyone will be equalized. And then the question for the avatar is like, who's right here? And in this case, compared to the original show, in this case, the the villains, it's a much more complex dynamic of being unsure who's in the right or who's in the wrong or what to do um, about situations. And so that's a really cool aspect of it. But honestly, it's one of my big regrets as a show of of not finishing. So I'm really excited to get to um, the later seasons, which I still haven't. Hmm. I'm pretty sure Avatar is on my list of things oh, that yeah. I have to watch. For, for yeah, like I'm anime? Sure, yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Avatar is on my anime list. I'm like 90% it's sure. It's good. Uh, I forget. One of our mutual friends absolutely loves it too, so. I, f- I forget all of the things that are on my list, but I'm pretty sure Avatar is on there, and I, <laughs> I know something called Gurren Logan mm-hmm. is on there. <laughs> it's funny, I, and, I remember and a bunch Hunter of stuff on your Hunter. list. <laughs> I don't. I don't. There no, are so okay. many names I don't know. I'm not, look, I'm not going to hound you. I'm just going to check in every once in a while and you'll be a massive disappointment to me if you haven't watched it all. <laughs> I I can only watch it when my friend is available because we I'm have to watch it together. I'm just kidding. I was just, you know, So pointing blame out. him even though you don't know him. Um, okay. That's it for me. So I'm, I'm ready to talk about the movie after. I, like, none of these are interesting for me to talk about. 
Go I'm just, for it. Since, you, since you're doing a rewatch, I'm just going to do one of my rewatches and then I'm going to leave it at that. Because the other one that I was going to talk about, there's only three episodes out. So I'd rather wait for like more oh, yeah. episodes. Before I might watch it. And I'd like you to watch it. Secrets. Yeah, you know. I'd like you to watch it. Yeah. Keep it for next time. Yeah. So I have been doing a rewatch of Supernatural. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started from season one. I've literally only watched, rewatched season one. Um, I stopped watching Supernatural probably around season nine ish, mm-hmm. I want to say. That's around, I think um, I stopped between seven and eight. Yeah, somewhere, somewhere in there. I know I made it past the Leviathan season because I remember all of the dick jokes. Because the main Leviathan yeah. guy's so, name was Dick. If I remember correct, the seasons after the five, which is the good story, it goes like there's the alphas, then the Leviathans, then yeah. something. Eve, then it I might think. be the, the the messenger of God guy. Oh, fuck, I don't know. But yeah. Megatron. Yeah, something like that. I, I. Then the Transformers yeah, come. Fuck, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't even know. I th- I think I made it to about season nine. Right, right around there. I made it past the Leviathan, so I know that for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so seasons seven through nine are when you really started noticing that they were like direct plucking writing prompts and like plot ideas from Tumblr fan fiction. So you started like that was when you really started seeing a lot of the like nods to Destiel and like. They did the episode where they're in the actual TV show. Like, they go yeah. into an alternate universe, and they're Sam and Dean, but Jensen and Jared, and they're actors, and they had to do, like, the commercial and stuff, and it ended up being for genital herpes, which was very funny. And the, like, fan fiction and the books, the Sam and Dean books come into it, and you start seeing, like... Sam and Dean, or Supernatural, the musical, and all of those, I remember all of those being, like, fan fiction from fucking Tumblr and then ending up in the show. So, like, you know that they were pulling it from the fandom, which I guess is really cool for, like, the fandom and stuff, but it created this weird, obvious jump-the-shark feel for Mm -hmm. me, and also, like... A fandom that was, like, equal parts fun and toxic. It was, like, it could get, like, very toxic if you were, like, big on Tumblr back in the day. So it made it significantly less fun to watch because people were, like, infighting and super aggressive and really intensely weird about shit online. That it was, like, I know this weirdness is going to end up in the show and I know I'm just going to have to deal with people screaming online about it. So it's just, like, not fun to watch anymore. But I've been on TikTok. And so many people have been posting about Supernatural because the series just ended. Oh, really? I thought that was, like, last year or so. But, yeah, okay. Yeah, no, the series just ended maybe, like, a month or two ago. And well, damn. the ending of the series officially made Destiel canon. No. No, yeah. no, no. Yeah. So basically, do you want away. me to spoil I can spoil it for you. Do you want me to spoil oh, yeah. it for you? Let's hear it. Okay. I'm, I'm into so this. I, haven't, I haven't watched it. This is just what I learned on TikTok. We're very but good reviewers. basically, I know. Basically, the end of, look, it's supernatural and we're in our 30s. Like, nobody fucking cares about the show anymore. 
But essentially the end of the series, Castiel confesses his love to Dean and basically says, like, I've always been in love with you. And Dean's basically just like, yeah, I I know. And then Castiel goes to super hell for being a gay angel. No. No yeah. fucking way. Yeah, so people on TikTok were livid because essentially they waited 15, because this is the entire, the only people who still watch the show are the people who were hardcore yes. into the Tumblr fandom. So these are all people who have literally waited 15 years for Destiel, or not 15 because Castiel didn't come into it until season five. So 10 years, a decade, for Destiel to be made canon after all of the hints and nods and like fake outs for it to be official canon, they make it canon and then they send him immediately to hell. And Dean's just like, sucks. Un- and that, And that's... That's pretty much what happens. So th- there's other stuff that happens in the season finale that's, like, also frustrating for people. Like, one of the main characters gets stabbed, and then the other one doesn't try to save him and just, like, grows old and is happy and, like, has a family. <laughs> and it's like, fuck you, brother, that I've traded my life for seven times through the course of this series. Um, but, like, regardless, like, also that pissed off the fans because it's disingenuous, but yeah, mainly it's it's the Destiel thing that, like, the fandom lost their minds over. So for the last, like, two months, three months, it's been nonstop supernatural shit on my TikTok. Oh my god. Because I'm on, like, the alt side of TikTok, mm-hmm. which is where all the, like, LGBTQ and POC and, like, weird fandom creators post stuff. Um, so you get a lot of supernatural stuff on that side of TikTok. And, like, I know that it it's overall not a good show, but so many of these TikToks are so good and so funny that my brain is now like relating supernatural to happy feelings, and I feel like the show is good even though I know it isn't. <laughs> well, the first so five I started rewatching it. The first five seasons are good. I forgot how entertaining the first season was. Like it is just a standard monster of the week mm-hmm. for the most part. But there are some really solid episodes in there. Like, some great, great Monster of the Week stories. I mean, a decent amount of it is is 100% lifted directly from X-Files episodes. But they do a really good job, like, fully researching and fleshing out a lot of the lore. Mm-hmm. So, like, a lot of the folklore and urban legends that they use are actually, like, pretty historically accurate. Which yeah. makes it, it for me, like, way more entertaining. So when they do, like, the Hookman episode, and it follows, like, that urban legend perfectly, it's really interesting. And when they do, like, an episode on a Wendigo, and they explain exactly how Wendigos are created in, like, Cree culture, it's really fucking cool. Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah, the first five seasons are dope. I know it's going to get bad, and I know I'm probably going to like keep watching it <laughs> for longer than I should, even though it's going to be terrible. Ugh. And it's just going to break my heart all over the, again. The world it built is so is so good and iconic. Like, they really... Mm-hmm. They, they hit something that, like, you know... It, I'm not saying it's as good, but, like, or... But there is a sense in which things like Alice in Wonderland or Sherlock Holmes, like, once it's out there you see it like replicated infinity times over but you, and you just see it as like oh that's a 
a, a Sherlock type or that's a Alice in Wonderland type mm-hmm. thing. And I'm not, Supernatural isn't quite that level, but it is because it's like Buffy. There's other similar ones like within the same genre. Well, that's not clear which is the original, but it really hits something. For me, it hit basically filled the void that Buffy left behind for me. Buffy and Angel. Because, like, Buffy and Angel were my childhood. Like, I was obsessed with those two shows. And those two shows ended, and there really wasn't anything that fit the same genre that could replace them Mm -hmm. for me. You know, like, there were other teen dramas and stuff, but nothing that hit that weird position between horror and, like, teen soap and comedy like really really well um and then supernatural came out i remember when supernatural before it even came out the very first tv spot i saw i think it was on cw i'm pretty sure because that's i'm pretty sure that's the network it was on originally but i was watching some stupid show and i remember the like teaser tv spot for the new upcoming show and it was supernatural and like they, they showed, like, the classic lines, like, saving people, hunting things, the family business. And they showed, like, a couple of the, like, monster-type things. Made it very clear it was, like, you know, going to be a spooky show. And then Supernatural. And I was, like, obsessed with it and waited weeks for this show to come out. I adored that show. I watched mm-hmm. it live on TV every week. Like, I owned the first few seasons. I loved that show. But Tumblr didn't And then it got really bad. Because that, like, the... So many of the weird things they brought into it were just, like, so corny, so over the top. And, like, it just... It became clear that the show was about fan service. And it wasn't really about, like creating interesting plots anymore Mm -hmm. they also went like really hard into the angels and demons thing and like the demons thing had been they they had demons in the first season Mm -hmm. so like i like it's not weird to me that they would keep that up but it just it very much became a show strictly about heaven and hell yes. and there really wasn't anything about any of the folklore yeah, anymore so exactly. you didn't have vampires or werewolves or different types of monsters or ghosts or poltergeists anymore it was literally just everything is always a demon or something directly from hell or an angel or something directly from heaven and it's like it just started feeling like a weird show about Christianity when it was originally a show about urban legends and folklore and mm-hmm. ghosts and like I, all of these different types of spooky things. I love, like, I remember, I don't remember exactly, where, but you know, they'd been fighting angels for a while and whatnot. And it's like, it's, I love what the show, it's like, they, they had, to, they collected together over a series of episodes, like the things that harm high level demons, angels, yada, yada, yada. And it's like, it turns, it's like, like one of these things, it's like this oil or something like that, that you have to get from like, like, you know, Babylon or, you know, Jerusalem yeah. from literally the year two. That's so you have to do the time thing or like an angel has to go there and get it. For, and it's like they have, to, they just like, they're like open the trunk. It's like, yeah, got my Jerusalem yeah. oil, got my, you know, whip of the infinite hells, you know, directly from, you know, Baphomet's whole, hand. And it's just like, okay. There's a whole storyline where they have to go and find Cain. Hmm. Like, from Cain and Abel, because he walks the earth forever, that's his curse, for killing Abel, 
So they have to go to Cain and they have to get the mark of Cain because that's the only way that they can kill. I think, I think Michael or something. I think it's an angel. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's like the only way they can kill him is to get the mark of Cain, but then they're cursed forever and they get this mark of Cain. Presumably Dean is cursed forever. I think it was Dean. Presumably he's cursed forever. And then the next season, like they figure out a way to get rid of the mark. Yeah. And they found new ways to kill, like, these super angels. And it's like, well... It's so ridiculous. Why do you need the mark anymore? And so many people came back to life, apparently. Mm -hmm. I found out about from TikTok. But, like, this is a spoiler. But for anybody who doesn't watch Supernatural. But, like, Bobby dies, which was fucking soul-crushing for Mm -hmm. me when that happened. I was devastated when Bobby died. He comes back to life. He comes back. Charlie comes back. Which was like devastating well, when she died. Both the main died. characters die multiple times and come back. It's so. Both outrageous. the main characters die. Yes, but like both their parents, their mom and their dad, come back two separate times. Yep. Like it's it they they fall to all the worst tropes of long term uh, like long term continuity is tough and comic books ran to the same problem where death becomes this very difficult thing once you like once you allow for the fact that people can get revived. Um, uh, mm-hmm. Magicians act, runs into a similar problem because then they solve it through like I mean I don't want to get too much but you know through other dimensions through like hyper magic. But just... see, at least the other dimensions thing, I I kind of like that because it's, it's like the okay, person. they're still yeah, it's either not the same person or they're still dead, but they've moved into a new dimension to exist, or like they're in an afterlife and like their storyline can continue in that afterlife or whatever. But when they're just like. We we resurrected you. Again. Yeah. Because we can. Like, at least the first time they brought Dean back, it's like a literal angel went into hell to get him back on a specific mission to be, like, a warrior against, like, demons or whatever. And it's like, that, that kind of, like, makes sense. And it makes sense that, like, only an angel or, like, a messenger from heaven or whatever could pull you from, like, the afterlife. Like, that kind of works for me. But when it's just like, hey, dad's dead, and then four seasons later, dad's alive again because he is. It's mm-hmm. like, well, what the fuck? Why? Like, let him be a ghost at least. We already know in this universe that ghosts are a thing. Like, you don't have to resurrect, like, eight, eight characters in two seasons just because people are bored with the fucking show. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, Supernatural is a cool show. We should uh, talk about the movie. Yeah, I guess that's true. We didn't even say at the top what movie we watched. Nope. It's in the title. We're so, we're so bad at this. Um, so we watched brand new movie. Well, brand new to Netflix. It, it came out like a month ago. Wow, okay. Set in the original Scandinavian. It's not even Scandinavian. We watched Relic. It is an Australian movie. Relax. So not Scandinavian, uh, but it's an Australian movie. Um, I already can't remember the name of the lead actress, but she was in Aaron Sorkin's Newsroom, oh. that TV show. I never saw that. It's it's all right. It's kind of like the West Wing, but news instead right. of the White House. It's got a very similar yeah, vibe. I completely. I already I already see it. Yeah. Fast talking, a, a, like a little bit of weird tropiness with the women characters. Doesn't totally pass the Bechdel test. 
hyper-intelligence politics. That's basically it. But I mean, I think the West Wing is also Aaron Sorkin, so it makes sense that they're basically the same show. Oh, damn. Did not know that, actually. Yeah. I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure they're both Aaron Sorkin. Um, but hold on, I gotta look up her name because it's gonna bother me. Emily Mortimer mm-hmm. plays the main character, Kay. So this movie, it came out this year. It's a cool 90 minutes, which I love. Um, and it's basically about three generations of women from one family. Yep. The um, matriarch of the family, the grandmother, goes missing. She lives alone, um, and the like. Her daughter, uh, Emily Mortimer's character, hasn't spoken to her in a few weeks. She goes missing. Um, so the daughter is Emily Mortimer's character is called to come and check on her. Um, Emily Mortimer and her daughter go to uh, the grandmother's house, and it's kind of a mess. Like, there, mm-hmm. it's not terrible, but there appears to be, like, a, a decent amount of disarray. It's not well taken care of. There's quite a bit of water damage. And the, like, grandmother character is nowhere to be found. Um, after a couple of days in this house, they set up a search party. They file a missing persons report. And then the, the grandmother just returns out of nowhere. Yeah. But something is not quite right with her mentally. Um, and she has some, like, physical damage from the time that she's been missing. She's got some bruises. Um, she's pretty dirty. So they don't totally know what's going on. And it just kind of, like, deteriorates from there. Yeah. I liked it. I, I look, mm-hmm. I, I liked Great. it. I didn't love it. I think conceptually, it's really good. And the feelings trace a really good line. But it's almost as though it it almost balances too well between experimental and just being like classic. Yeah, I'm just and like in that it's way, very well balanced, and I it, I feel good about it. But I'm just like I almost wish some of the more experimental parts got even a little crazier, like a little bit yeah. more obnoxious, or so that it was more memorable in that way, or it was more that classic fun horror, or like just or really horrifying or something. You know, it's it's just a very well yeah. executed movie. It. I, I agree with you. I think I think I wish that they had been either a little bit more experimental with the atmosphere and the and the the general weirdness, or they had had just made it a little bit more fun, yeah, like classic something. fun horror movie. I agree. Um, but the, the the line that they walk feels similar to me, and and honestly, the aesthetic and the appearance of it has a similar feel to me to another movie called um, The Honeymoon. Don't know it. It's uh, like a UK horror movie. Honeymoon came out in 2014 and it has sort of like a similar esoteric kind of like very atmospheric experimental vibe, but it doesn't quite rise to the level that you would want it to. Mm. Like it's it's not like a Mandy where it goes like really yeah. hard left turn into experimentalism, um, but it's it's not quite... The level of like an Ari Aster, like a like a Hereditary or a Midsummer, either where it's like really fully conceptualized narrative, mm-hmm. it's just somewhere in the middle where it's executed really well, but it doesn't quite give you the payoff that you that you kind of want mm-hmm. from something like that. Um, and I and I think you know I get a similar feeling from this Relic movie where it's like it is good, it is really entertaining. 
I think whatever this director does next, they need to push the envelope a little further if they decide to continue in like that kind of experimental horror vibe. Or they need to really conceptualize and plan it out to the degree of like an Ari Aster movie or something like It Follows, which has like an experimentalism aspect to it, but is just a fully realized and conceptualized idea and gives you the fun romp of a horror, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So diving into like the details a bit more, I think we, I think we basically agree about what, what it's doing, but so the, the mother and the daughter, so, and then there's the grandmother, right? So the mother and the daughter have, have a discussion about like, do we have to stay in the, in the house and take care of her, the, the grandmother while she's in this mm-hmm. problem, right? And you really get the sense in which, you know, and she's doing odd things every once in a while, right? And I think even, I'm not sure dementia is directly mentioned, but like clearly there's a, a yeah, sense of something like dementia. Yeah, they give hints to happening. it. Yeah, they say things like she forgets things sometimes. Right. She's getting on in years. She accidentally flooded the house. You know, she forgets to throw things away. So it gives you kind of like indicators of an early onset sort of like dementia or Alzheimer's, but nothing is directly reported. But, you know, the... Emily Mortimer's character, Kay, has also not been in contact with her mother for several weeks. And you get the idea that, like, nobody's been out to the house and like since the year prior when she accidentally flooded it. And nobody's really been taking her to, like, a doctor or making sure that she has, like, proper diagnoses or treatments. So it's, it's sort of like Kay, Emily Mortimer's character has unintentionally neglected the relationship mm. and missed the signs of something more serious. Yeah. So then where the storyline goes is this, like the the worsening in the visible conditions of the bruising gets worse um, and mm. the, the signs of the grandmother being in more distress or in a more... Uh, problematic situation grow and like for example like her yeah, mental mental instability yeah so she she like carves candles as like one of her hobbies and at one point i forget which one but one of them come into the room and she had like she has blood all over her hands so she's the like daughter, probably cut herself or she, you know she's a danger to herself to some degree and and she's very irritable when when asked to do stuff or when things right and so the show the, the movie seems to be a commentary on the ways in which the younger portion, and they say direct lines about this, but the younger person, uh, family, it's like they have a responsibility towards the older, but that kind of um, brings them into that same, like they sort of not grow old with them, but like there's something like that's taken from them. They, they get trapped in it, right? Mm-hmm. And this becomes more literal as the uh, movie goes on. And yeah. that's the coolest aspects of it is how the movie starts portraying this all three of them being entrapped in this situation of the the health of the older members of the family. Yeah, I would say, I, I mean, I would say it's commenting on a, on a few different things. And I, I would say it's not perfectly clear at all times, but that's kind of something yeah. I like about it. Um, but yeah, I, w- I mean... It's, it's a commentary on aging and, and sort of the general decay that you go through in aging. Yep. And um, 
you know, the need for someone to care for you in the way that you were cared for as an infant and how that care passes on to like your subsequent generation. So your children and grandchildren. Um, but then the care, the caregiver fatigue, the very specific kind of familial caregiver fatigue um, that you're essentially forcing your younger family to go through. Yeah. Um, because you don't want to leave your home and your creature comforts and, and the things that you're accustomed to, to move into like a medical care facility. But then you're, you're essentially forcing the same kind of exhaustion, fatigue, decay, and, and rapid aging on the younger generation, because of course they're going to be exhausted. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially with, you know, a parent that's going through something as traumatic as like, Alzheimer's or dementia, which is a very like specific and and traumatic illness and so disease. I I like that the movie the way it portrays the the and this is I think one of the cooler uses of horror, right? It is there's a very clear metaphor going on here. Well, maybe not clear exactly which, but there there is a metaphor going on here, and that the the this scary aspects uh, and the the special effects that are unfolding are reflections on these internalized fears of being trapped in this situation and or, mm-hmm. and of aging and of, and of these things. And so I think, but it's almost maybe that the movie does it too literally or, or not experimentally enough or something where it feels, yeah. it's more like I, I almost feel like I'm stamping it with like a good job, but I don't feel like addicted to it or, tra- or transcendent or it doesn't feel like, wow, it didn't wow me. Yeah. I, I'm more like, I... I understood what was going on and I'm like, you did it really good. Like, great job. I agree. I agree. I, I would say, especially with, like, the special effects. I, I found the special effects on the house and, like, mm-hmm. this weird pseudo-parallel house. I found that really, really interesting. I mean, it might be a little bit of an obvious metaphor for, like, feeling lost and trapped in a situation. But I think, like, that kind of fear is very distinct and and exciting, and you don't see a visual representation of that kind of, like, weird manifestation too often. But I think that the special effects that they used on the grandmother to sort of portray her, like, for lack of a better, deterioration... Mm -hmm were almost, they were too direct. They were too obvious of a choice. Mm. Um, and I, and I, I kind of wish that they hadn't gone as far in the end with it as they did. I wish that there had been a little bit more room for, for metaphor, um, and a little less of an obvious, like decay Mm -hmm. appearance to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I would almost wish that she turned more monstrous and less like frail. Mm hmm. You know, but overall, yeah, I really, I really enjoyed it. Um, I I love that there are more opportunities for women in horror um, and like really, you know, not those like classic tropey female characters like the final girl in a slasher mm-hmm. flick, but just interesting representations of women in horror. And this is an almost entirely female cast. Yeah. Um, because really you're focused on those three main characters. You see one police officer at one point, you see one other minor male character, but for the most part, it's all the, it's just the three women and it's written and directed by a woman. 
so so I love that. I love that it's experimental and it's weird and it's a lot of like new and exciting opportunity for women because I think there are some really, really interesting conceptual horrors that are very like feminist and female focused. And I think because this is so much about the like multi-generational aspects of caregiving, it's interesting to see it from a woman's perspective because Mm -hmm. it gives you that whole, like the classic societal expectation of a woman's place in a, in a familial relationship. Um, So I think that's kind of an interesting conversation to be having. Yeah. I, and and I'm not sure I have um, much else to say about the movie in particular, but I I agree with you on the house effects and this inverse house and whatnot. And what I was Hmm. saying, it um, reminded me of, which unfortunately I have talked about in the, podcast before but i think it's worth mentioning again here if you do end up watching the movie and enjoying it that there's this really excellent horror book probably one of my favorite horror books i've ever read but i haven't read that many to be fair um but called house of leaves in which we have a, a house in which th- there is this strangeness to the to the rooms and what i enjoy about it is that it's that fear of the unknown and the and memory and um getting lost in the most familiar you know a home is the most familiar and the the book actually has this portrayal of like you have the most control over the home right they, they set up cameras they can do whatever they need to do to get control over this home and yet in a way that that the home reacts in exactly the like exactly as much force to counterattack. the more they try mm-hmm. to understand it the more the weirdness appears and I'm not sure exactly how to translate that to this, but there is something about the being trapped in a home. Like, the situ- like the, it, I can feel the fear. Like, if in my mind, there's a kind of yeah. living death. To If I found out, right, that's like, and you hear about the story all the time, right? You're 25 years old, you're just starting your career, and then one of your parents or your grandparents falls really ill and you have to go care for them, right? You feel that responsibility. It's like, there is this burden and this fear of, I have to now give up my own life and my own momentum and my own thing for this thing. And so it's a, it's a double tragedy. Um, not only their own health failing, but the need for the caregiving and how, like, what should we do as a society about that, that fear, right? Like how do we confront it? So I think there's something cathartic isn't exactly the right word, but maybe you understand what I'm saying. Like watching it where it's like, it's directly stating it's like, this is something we fear. Right. And we need to think about it. And what I like, what I really like about this movie and what I think was interesting and they maybe didn't do, they didn't show enough of, was that it wasn't just about the manifestation of that fear, but also of the guilt that you feel for being afraid. You know, like, I'm afraid I'm going to have to give up my independence, yes. my own life. But then it's like, this is the person who gave birth to me, who raised me, who gave up their life to make me who I am. And now I'm what reluctant to give up what I have to do the same for them. And then you have this immense guilt over these like perfectly understandable feelings. And I think they showed some of that and you definitely see that feeling at the end, like the end result mm-hmm. in this in in the movie relic you definitely see sort of like the result of those feelings of guilt i just wish that they had interspersed it with the horror more because i think it would have made it 
it would have given it an, like another layer of, of disquieting and uncomfortable and confrontational that I think this movie would have really benefited from. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we did talk a lot in the in the early portion of the episode but yeah yes i i i unfortunately it's 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 one of these cases where it's it's a thing that was just it was well done so there isn't too much extra to praise about it and there isn't too much to critique um it's i i felt very similar about um the babadook the first time mm, i saw it where it's like it is but it is objectively like it's a well-done movie the child is annoying but it's a well-done movie it is a good movie there's not a lot that you can say negative about it other than you just don't like that type of experimental or character-driven horror and that's perfectly reasonable but that doesn't make it a bad movie and i think this film is going to get a similar reaction where it's like it's there's there's nothing particularly bad about it there's nothing done exceptionally poorly that you can point out there are shortcomings for sure but like if you don't like it you're you're just there's nothing that you're gonna like about it and that's just how it is i don't know so have i told you the story about my family and the babadook before mm, no. no oh my this is a good story so me and my brothers watched the babadook together and they hated it that kid, that child, like I could tell from the first time it was a movie, they were destroyed on the inside. They were like, I can never, ever like this movie. Be- My mom hated it too. This, right. And so we get to the end of the movie and I'm like, I'm, I was like thinking, I was like, I'm not sure about this. I'm not, I'm not sure about this. Mom. I'm like, and, and then I just go into the round. I'm like, well, I mean, obviously we all know that it was an, it was a metaphor for her husband's thing. Uh, her husband's guilt and the Babadook wasn't really real. And it's just about her feeding her own thing and getting over her own things. And both of my brothers were like, what are you talking about? And Jules, he said, he's never had this like so forcefully before, but he was just like, he just said, and he's just like, you're, he like rewound the movie in his mind. He's like, you're 100% right. And you just like rewrote the movie in my mind. And he's like, I still hate it because that goddamn child. But he's like, I had no idea any of that was going on. And so now we, we call it the Babadook moment. Whenever it's like we, they watch movies, they're like, I don't, I didn't get anything from that. And they're like, Joe, watch it. Tell us the Babadook of it. You know, like, what's the, oh what's the God, Babadook? Oh my God, I love that. Can we make that a thing for the podcast? And then, yeah, they, they, and they died over the fact that I started. And I remember explicitly like saying with like, obviously it's the case, but I'm curious yeah. about this. And they're like, what? <laughs> what do you mean? Obviously. Yeah. They were just like, so, like, what are you talking about? See, I love that you get that validation from your family. When I have those conversations with my dad, and I'm like, well, clearly this is what they were trying to say. And my dad's just like, I think you're reading too much into things. Yeah, and well, I'm like, no, that okay, is the well, more fuck you answer. then. I was like, well, tough shit. That's what yeah. I think it means. The Babadook we reference all the time, and the other movie we reference all the time as a family is The Mist, the Stephen King movie the mist the, like the, the movie ending. i love that movie the ending is yes. so bleak and i just love yeah. it my mom and i, I both love so the much. ending it's like and the reason it's such a family the... thing is because my mom and i love the ending and then my dad and and my brother um hate it like think the ending is the stupidest thing ever and so we just we we fought we fought about it like 30 times it's insane um and but and so it's I, the I love perfect ending it's the perfect ending because it is it is so bleak, but it is so, like, you can see something like that happening mm-hmm. if that situation were to occur. Like, you're just, you're backed into a corner. 
There's nowhere left to go. You fought as hard as you can and you're just fucking done. You're just so exhausted. And like, it feels like such a great, like, representation of like, they give you outer forces to explain it, but it gives you a really good representation of what it's like battling mental illness your entire oh, life. Like, I haven't heard that connection. But I mean, right? You're you're fighting constantly mm-hmm. every day. You are doing battle and you are doing everything you can to stay alive. And then eventually it just becomes too fucking much. And you get exhausted. And that happens. That is a very true and real lived experience for many people who have attempted um, to complete suicide. And a lot of the reasons behind people who have completed suicide. It reminds me, I, I love how we said we we're going to end this, but guess what, people? Bonus content forever. Yeah. Um, but I love this Constantly. one. Oh, God, I cannot remember. I think it's called The Chat Room or whatever, but it was a Polish movie. No, Suicide okay. Room. That's what it's called. And so okay. it's a chat room about all these people who want to commit suicide. So they're all talking. They haven't met each other in real life, right? And so they... Um, uh, basically what, uh, you know, I'm going to give it away because the only thing I want to talk about is what actually happens. But basically fine. The, you see the main character is someone who isn't that into, like, isn't, like, isn't really, into, but, but it's actually the peer pressure of believing that everyone in this room wants to commit suicide that eventually they're like, yeah, everyone's going to do it. We all said on oh, this day at this time, we'll do it. And, and then he commits suicide. They, then you, then you see for the first time all the other characters and their things and they see like they find out about this person committing suicide and you realize that none of them were actually planning to commit suicide. They were all just like part of this. They found like comfort or support in the network, but their, but their ideation led to one of them. There is an episode of law and order SVU about almost that exact thing. And it is like a, an online support group for people with like, terminal illnesses or like mental illnesses and they can discuss like what they're going through and like how they just want to end it and they go after a doctor i think who's in that support group who's basically encouraging these like um physically or mentally ill people to like complete suicide so they like arrest her and whatever but it's an episode of law and order svu it's not very good but it just it reminded me because it's very similar (laughs) we're just going deeper down the rabbit hole i know it's so bad we need to end this (laughs) um relic good movie not much to say yeah it's pretty good it's on netflix it's australian if you like horror it's worth it's it's worth a watch. Oh, yeah. It's worth a watch there, especially if you're interested in like truly nothing. Yeah, it, especially if you're interested in watching more like female driven horror. Yeah, I don't remember the outro. Um. Yeah. So that's it for us today, <laughs> tonight. Whenever you're watching this, um, you can follow us on Twitter. Um, it's our our Twitter handle is at fans lab pod. Um, you can also follow our individual Twitters through there. Um, and yeah, send us your movie recommendations, ask us questions, tell us if you hate us, whatever. (laughs) Um, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.